Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good overnight. I'm Anthony Price. And I'm Jonathan Bradley, looking forward to a full and fun-packed podcast today. We've got, uh, I know that we've got a listener question, because the listener was in one of our webinars yesterday, and uh, it's quite a a good question, actually. Um, So that's coming up. Uh, We're also going to be looking at uh, internal communications uh, and the kind of default email uh, in organisations has to be banned, according to one CEO. So we're going to have a look at that. Um, And we've also got um, your wonderful contribution, Ant, um, starting with what is the big thing happening at Seedl right now? Oh, well... Um, very exciting news and and good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. Um, so we are moving our offices. So we are, have now our first proper office, if you will, because as many of you all know, Seedle is relatively young. It's only a year old. Um, and of course, launching in a pandemic meant that get, taking office space was a bit kind of risky and also unnecessary. So I'm pleased to say that this morning we got our keys to our offices, um, which we are having um, kind of a load of hot desks in there. Um, And there will be a couple of static desks, but most people will continue to kind of work from home and then they'll come to the office. So it's very exciting, Mr. Bradley. Very exciting indeed. It it sounds um, very exciting. And I'm I'm very, very happy that I have been invited. But as soon as I was ready packing my bags, um, I was told that I can't come until September, which I'm a bit disappointed about because I was all ready um, and willing to go out and spread my oxytocin everywhere. Yeah. Uh, but I can, I can, I can handle it. I can wait. So, for the listeners' benefit, JB's a little bit on edge today because, and our audio, our studio audience, if you will, um, that watch or listen to these webinars, ordinarily we have our cameras on, so the live audience can see me, but they can't see JB. In fact, I'll turn off the graphic that's currently on screen. And JB, unfortunately, is just a um, a, uh, a kind of a, a static face. And there's a big symbol above it saying that his broadband connection is poor. So um, he is image only, which means ordinarily we kind of make eye contact when it's each other's turn to talk. (laughs) So today we're going to be kind of fumbling around um, uh, in the dark, trying to work out how to do our various handoffs to make it look seamless. But JB, before we get going into the topics, I must ask, what's the latest on the bongo? Um, And for the audience, bongo uh, is not a plan words. It is his camper van. Okay, so I, I have to put a word of warning here, and please don't try this at home. Um, I don't know how legal it is, but anyway, um, me and my missus went to a pub uh, on Sunday night. Uh, we had a few, and a few more, and uh, we parked the bongo outside the pub in the street in this little village, and we stayed in the bongo all night. I got about three hours of sleep and had to do a an early webinar at eight in the morning. And I honestly, I felt like a mole um, that was still um, kind of intoxicated, which how unprofessional is that? And really, I should know better at this this age. But occasionally, don't you just have to let your hair down and be a normal human being rather than this uh, thing that everyone expects you to be. I, I'm only normal, I'm only human. And it was just great fun. And, and we thought we were gonna get arrested and it was quite fun. It was um, a little bit as you know, we don't take many risks at our age. When you've got kids and stuff like that, you've got to be a bit more careful. Anyway, so that's about as risky as I get, everybody, sleeping outside a pub. He, a um, he he mentions he likes to let his hair down. I don't have that luxury, but thanks, for JB, ah. for, the, for the metaphor. Um, but um, yeah, so so each week, um, you'll be aware, ladies and gents, we always ask JB for his updates. He used to be on the progress of his shed, um, which I say his shed, his home office studio thing that he built from scratch. Uh, now that's complete, his latest project is the camper van, um, whereas most weeks my um, my life seems to just blur into one life, which is many children, uh, football matches. Uh, the middle son has just joined a cricket club, so that's now the summer kind of 
oh, uh, wow. I guess, tied up for, for cricket things. So all very exciting, all very good. Um, so um, as ever, as JB says, we've got our topics, but we've also got listener questions. We have, as ever, our live studio audience um, who can submit questions in our Q&A box. And also we can ask the, our listeners via the podcast platforms to submit. And we do have some questions that have been sent in to globalleadershippodcast.seedle.com or globalleadershippodcast.gmail.com. They all come through to us and we go through them each week. But I want to start, if I may, JB, with the news this week, um, once again, where a company is in the headlines for all the wrong reasons. Um, BBC um, picked this article up last week. And for those of you that are listening, I guess six, 12 months from now, this will be interesting to see how this story pans out. But um, about six weeks ago, Brewdog um, were in the news after a group of ex-employees came out saying how toxic the culture was and actually how the CEO was pretty poor. And there was a whole host of accusations made against him, which he has since come out and done a statement to say that there are lessons that need to be learned. But unfortunately, this group have then shared other communications that have gone on within the company since the first news came out about this toxic culture, where they are pretty much asking the employees to come out and defend the company's culture. That was story one six weeks ago. And there has been a a litter, a litter of de- various accusations against Brewdog over the last six to 12 months and before, actually, where um, they've been accused of, of exploiting people in interview processes to take ideas and use it as their own and then not hire the people. And then this week, they're in the headlines again because they've done some promotion where if you find a gold can in your box of beers then you win £15,000 or the value of it was £15,000 or something. But ultimately, advertising standards have got involved. Um, There's been screenshots of the CEO saying things, um, which then he's deleted them and so on. And the question, I guess, is, Mr. Bradley, um, what does that say about the leadership in the organisation based on what we see in the media? Now, of course, they've come out and said things otherwise. But if we take those press articles, BBC to be quite balanced in that reporting, what does a leader need to do when they have these situations? And when is it time for a leader to say, actually, do you know what? I'm damaging the company's reputation here. Well, um, this is a disaster in PR terms, isn't it? I mean, there are over 60 uh, former workers uh, alleging that the uh, Scottish brewers' uh, rapid growth involved some some pretty interesting stuff some cutting corners on health and safety uh espousing values it didn't live by and creating a toxic culture uh that left staff suffering from mental illness it would seem um that the leadership here at brewdog um really really they built a business very quickly uh they did what's perhaps right for the business in the short term but not its people and uh it's a real shame because actually you know in the early days brewdog was the sort of exciting kind of punk brewery um that that looked like it had great values and it was great fun but according to this it was a puff of smoke it wasn't real so at that point, um, don't you let the grown-ups start running the organisation. Uh, it seems to me that this was not run by a grown-up. Uh, it was run by um, a group of self-interested people who probably want to make a boatload of money uh, in the short term. There's all sorts of stuff that are coming out in the press now. Um, you know, these sort of claims um, about, you know, this toxic culture. Um, and not living by values and doing all sorts of um, kind of crazy, crazy stuff. Growth at all costs. Growth at all costs. Uh, you know, how many organisations have we been in uh, where you hear this this you know, this term growth? Um, but but at what cost? Um, I, I have a thing about GDP. Um, I, I think yeah, it's great, but it's all about revenue. Um, what about the costs? Uh, what's what's the net? profit you know what's the net and when you take into account uh people's uh well-being 
um, you know, the way that we treat suppliers. I mean, I, I, don't, I haven't seen anything reported about the way that Brewdog uh, treats suppliers, but I wouldn't be surprised um, that it fits in quite neatly into the toxic uh, way that this company seems to lead uh, its business. So um, it, it seemed to me that the grown-ups need to take control of the business um, and get this toxic uh, nonsense out of it. Don't you think, Anne? I hope you're still there. Am I talking to myself? No, 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 I'm, st oh, I'm still here. Hopefully you can see me because I know your download speed's okay. It's your upload speed that's poor. Um, so um, I, I would agree with you. In fact, actually, um, sometimes what I find more interesting with some of these articles is to read the comments. R remove the keyboard warriors. Um, re also remove the people that have a vested interest in the company's success, etc. And um, what we would um, be thinking, I suspect, is that the leader, to your point, JB, has put the business before its people. I have a ton, not much, in fact, none at all. But if I was to have sympathy, it would be that I'm aware that they went through a series of investment funding rounds, which means that there are probably some relatively aggressive KPIs that needs to be achieved in order to... Um, to, to, to meet the expectations. But as you say, JB, I think as a leader, we have to do what's right for the business and its people. And if you've got a high voluntary attrition, ironically, it's going to harm those aspirations for the business anyway. I think one of the biggest painful things you can do in most businesses is damage uh, the, the, the company's performance by losing people. Now, if um, this, if Brewdog in this situation have decided that actually there's enough of a talent pool out there for the, a lot of the roles that actually can churn very, very highly, then we can treat people like like rubbish. But I'm acutely aware that there were some relatively senior people that have also come out saying it's not a great place to work. And this, I think, kind of feeds into what we've spoken about in previous podcasts, is that actually the leader needs to understand that if they don't put their people sometimes before their business and, and was it, you know, the culture eats strategy for breakfast is a, another phrase that you've said before, JB. Um, we have a problem. And I think, unfortunately, um, you almost have to wonder whether this latest PR gaffe around these gold beer cans um, is almost a own goal by the company thinking it's a way to put themselves back out there. Or maybe they are deluding themselves to think, all publicity is good publicity. Maybe, just maybe, some their sales went up after their last, last thing about their culture. But I hate to say it, I did drink their beer a few years ago and someone told me back then about this story where they were hiring marketing people and basically didn't hire the role and just took all their ideas and gave it to the existing marketing team because they insisted as part of the interview process all these marketing people did it. And when, after I heard that story, I stopped buying their products. And interestingly, I went to the supermarket yesterday um, and the brew dog shelf was full. And I made a point because they were replenishing it. I said, oh, um, you know, uh, uh, have you just filled it up? He said, no, we're not. They've, they've dropped in sales. Um, and I think that's linked to the reputation. Um, and this is where it gets interesting because as a consumer, do we now start to value a company's product based on what we know to be its culture? Because if we really want to kick this subject about, why are we therefore buying from clothing stores that may manufacture or buy in goods from very low paid countries, for example? Um, because I'm guessing cost wise, the price is good enough and I will therefore ignore that piece. But clearly what has happened in the case of Brewdog is that there are now a number of people boycotting the product, which ironically can harm the existing employees. I have seen some comments out there going, let's not sabotage it for the employees that remain. But I have to say, at what point does a CEO of a company realize that they are going to end up killing the business because they're not learning or evolving? This has not been six weeks of misery. This has been a couple of years and it's just come into the public domain from what is being said in the media. Well, so it's described uh, in various articles as a, as a culture of fear. And, uh, you know, Brewdog hasn't been around that long. And to have a culture of fear is not 
a way to run any organization and it's not a sustainable business model by any stretch of the imagination. You can create a business um, with a culture of fear. I think it's fair to say. You could create a business um, and get everyone being, you, you, could, you could extrinsically reward them with incredible amounts of money. Uh, you could do all sorts of things, probably blackmail them and all sorts of things to get them to do what they need to do. Uh, in a very short space of time, massive staff turnover. Um, your job is to set this business up and sell it as fast as you possibly can within seven years um, and give it over to a venture capitalist fund, whatever. Uh, it is possible to do that. But what's the cost? What's the cost to the suppliers that you put out of business? What's the cost to the mental health uh, of the people working in that business? Um, you know, and you know the re reputation within that industry, within that sector. Uh, these are all massive costs uh, that need to be taken into consideration. Uh, in the short term, there are lots of businesses that are set up like this, um, and then you know they kind of disappear. This is not a sustainable business model. This business needs to be either taken over or uh, a new management team put in place, surely, um, because if you've got a reputation built on fear and a toxic culture, you cannot come back out of that. You, I was you about actually, to ask that question. I was about to say, you, do, do, do you think they, that the, the management team can survive this? No, I don't believe so. You know, you, you get rid. You know, if, if that if that um, company was part of a bigger company, um, you know, an offshoot, and it was run like that, um, I would I would be um, I would accept that shareholders would be screaming at me uh, to get rid of number one the CEO. Um, and also to have a very, very good look at the rest of the management team and their practices. Um, I, it would be tempting to just get rid of the whole damn lot um, and put in a new, fresh management team with some decent values. How would it be tackled then if the majority of the shareholders are in favour of the CEO because the CEO perhaps is the largest individual shareholder in the business? Um well, then, you know, I think that you uh, need to have some seriously big, uh, honest conversations with the CEO uh, to change the way that they work. Um, but, you know, I think it would be a, it would be a board of uh, directors and shareholders that I don't think I could personally do business with. I would probably resign myself. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And unfortunately, I think there is a number of people that have bought into the product through crowdfunding. So uh, for, for those that listen to this podcast, crowdfunding is where um, you or I can buy invest in the company in return for shares. It's almost bordering on a public traded company, but it's just it skirts on the, the legalities of being able to invest, which is what the crowdfunding is essentially. And what they have, of course, is lots of people that were consumers of the of the beer. I think actually Brewdog were turned down by Dragon's Den, if I'm not mistaken. I think they were one of the ones that got away. Um, but in any case, um, it's it, it's a it's a useful lesson for all of us that if you are a founder, CEO of a business, or you are given complete power and control over the entire business, that people can vote with their feet. And these days in the world of social media, the behaviors a CEO can display is now accountable. Okay, there isn't any video evidence or audio evidence or written evidence of, of the aggressive culture because it is, I guess, subjective and it's a multitude of experiences for people. But it becomes quite obvious when we really begin to investigate it that this business probably is not the sort of business that consumers want to buy from. But at the same time, how do we mask it if we have that culture in the business? Because as I said earlier, there are a number of retailers that have been in the media in the last 10, 15 years where they have been, you know, manufacturing their goods in sweatshops or importing goods from China. And whilst there are supplier agreements in place, I think we all know and I think we all turn a blind eye, to be honest, about probably what goes on in those manufacturing or supply chains. 
Um, fortunately, in our business, we don't have that problem. But I'm very aware that some of our listeners' businesses may well do that. And actually, there is a question, I suppose, for us as leaders to check our supply chains, cultures, to make sure that we are funding those right people. Do we really want to invest in companies that have that type of culture for their people? So leader not only has responsibility to its people, it also has responsibility to its customers to demonstrate that it's good to its people is kind of where I'm thinking this article has motivated me to think more consciously of. I would not want to be invested in that business right now. No. I, I don't think it has a, a long-term future. I think um, it's peaked, isn't it? I, I think it's peaked. It's it's one of those brands that uh, it, I mean, basically, it will probably be get it will be bought, won't it, and disappear into some great big sort of yeah. monolith. The management um, the management team will go through the acquisition. Um, yeah. The brand will then be you know we've we've listened, we've learned. Um, I mean, look, the truth is, I suspect. I, I hate to say it, some of the stunts that they've done clearly have got them the the media awareness. But I'm fascinated to see what the retailers do in their relationships with them. You know, the likes of the supermarkets. Are they going to want to stop their goods? Are they going to reduce the shelf space? So JB probably has his camera off, by the way, not because he's got internet issues, but because he's got a party going on in the garden. Oh, can you hear? So there's builders crawling all over the place. They're not on my shed, but uh, in fact, they probably could be. If I haven't got foxes, I've got builders. <laughs> um, and they're, they're all out having a, having good bants and laughs. Um, I could shut the door if it's too noisy. Is no. it, does it really sound like a party in the background? No, can, no, no. I can I just can d- let's just hope the builders don't, um, you know, do anything more um, obscene. Adult. Yes, they do. They do get a bit fruity in the afternoons. I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah. Um, so we should be safe for the rest of this podcast. Um, I, I, uh, I have a little uh, portfolio of shares, and I, it's a kind of little hobby of mine. And I, I, I invest in various companies. And I, 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 I look to their um, the way they operate and their values before I invest in them. So I don't buy any old company. And uh, I, I have to say that my portfolio is doing really quite well. And I'm not, you know, um, bragging, but I, I pick companies uh, where where I per- perceive and there's good evidence that they look after all their stakeholders. You know, they're good. They're good with their shareholders. They're good with their um, employees. They they they're good with their suppliers. And you can you can gather quite a lot of intelligence on this stuff. And do you know what? They they actually my my little share portfolio is doing really quite well against normal benchmarks. So I think there is something in it that you know if you do uh, run a toxic company uh, and you don't look after your people, watch out um, because. You know, I think it does actually these days um, end up uh, with effect that that effect on your your share price because sh- enlightened investors and shareholders um, look for the long term and uh, don't don't want a business that is going to collapse through bad publicity um, on green. What's that thing? Um, not sliding doors, green doors. What's that thing where people go and complain about the company's culture and people? Oh, glass door, you mean? Yeah, not green doors or sliding doors. Glass door. <laughs> I just went out my head there. Um, yeah, so I think I think there is more communication and there is more information uh, about the way people run organisations. They get their hands on it very quickly and uh, people don't want to invest in, in shitty companies. It's an interesting way of the world. Um, And I do think that as leaders, we need to be aware that, um, as you say, with with businesses like Glassdoor out there and Trustpilot and the whole host of other things where you can review things quite publicly, um, there is a need to be more accountable. What I do worry about with these types of Glassdoor and Trustpilot type websites is of course the rogue reviews because there has been various articles out there that demonstrate that there are fake reviews and competitors putting reviews on uh, to to, to, to kind of scare off um, potential customers. Um, But anyway, that was my article. But I know, JB, you have an article over emails, don't you? Well, so um, this this guy, Phil Foster, uh, he's the CEO of, of Love Energy Savings up in Scotland, I believe. Um, he, uh, at the beginning of Corona, um, was a bit perplexed by uh, what on earth are we going to do with our internal communications? 
So uh, during those early stages, um, he uh, would walk around and, and have chats with people. Um, but then all of a sudden, it was all remote. And what do you do? So initially, um, he started sending out emails uh, to update everybody, thinking that um, his words would soothe and uh, help people to understand what was going on. Um, but then he realised that given the kind of massive uncertainty and change um, and everything, he couldn't get his tone across um, and he couldn't kind of lead uh, from the front just through uh, an inbox. It wasn't ever really going to work. So um, what he did uh, was he decided to turn his communication into video and uh, get his message across in regular videos delivered through uh, things like Instagram, Microsoft Teams, uh, WhatsApp, um, and obviously email as well. Um, but it was an opportunity for him uh, to record all the right elements. So, you know, he was able to um, get across his tone, not just the words, um, and, you know, to look kind of straight at camera. Um, and the other thing about these uh, videos was that uh, it would be possible for people to download them at various different times. And um, interestingly, uh, he would only send these videos out during the hours of 9 to 4.30, um, which I think is really good because if you've got a lot of people working from home, and you get uh, a video from the boss at eight o'clock in the evening, what are you going to do? Uh, you're going to open it. Um, so I think I think that's quite cool uh, that, that they were sent out at a sensible time. Um, he argues that social media enables greater two-way communication, um, that emails don't cover, you know, it doesn't doesn't quite cut the cut the mustard. Um, and also that things can be solved more quickly. Um, he feels more accessible um, and he can converse uh, with his colleagues, um, do feedback surveys using social media and so on. So he has completely um, changed his ideas about the way that he communicates with his staff, not emails, he's banned emails. Uh, in in that respect, and getting all his people um, to to really start kind of getting getting better at communicating uh, using social media and using videos, I think it's really um, a kind of an interesting uh, idea uh, to start thinking about you know weekly half hour video updates, um, and you know some of that will be watched live, some will be watched recorded. Um, and interestingly, he says, just stick to the point. Uh, don't go all over the shop, which suggests to me uh, that people in uh, the video communications world, the virtual communications world, are probably going to do quite well in the next few years because there's an awful lot of people who are probably a bit shit uh, at talking to camera. But I think it's going to be a. I think it's going to become more of a thing. It's a. It has become a thing through COVID, but I think it's one of those things that is probably likely to grow now. What do you think? Uh, um. Yeah, right. Ooh, so so um, on the time of day stuff, um, I agree to an extent. I think it's important that employers do not expect employees to be available 24 7. on the flip side there are a number of employees reporting that they do appreciate the flexibility so long as it's both ways so for example um, we have employees in our team who like to not work between 2 30 pm and 8 30 pm because they want to get their kids home from school and therefore their children go to bed at 8.30. So the 2.30 till five hours they have not done, the two and a half hours they are missing, they then do kind of 8.30 till 11. And that's how it works for them. And equally for an international business, um, it's always someone's nine to five. 
And unless you can start staggering your written communications to only arrive in the local time zones nine to five, then that is okay, I suppose. But then there will be question marks as to, well, which audience, which country received that notification first? Because if we're going to stagger it, well, Asia found out eight hours before me and there's a really important announcement there. I didn't hear that. So I think that there needs to be, you're absolutely right, for a domestic organisation that is perhaps a very focused nine to five working day, whether it's remote or a building, then yes, I agree. I do think there's something to be said around communication fatigue. You and I talk about this and interestingly, in a previous episode, I think we've said we don't think in a remote working world over communication is a bad thing. Um, So long as it it campaigns, you and I talk about this campaign. In other words, you've got an idea, you need to cascade it, but sending one email is not going to cut it. You need to send it via email in an update, in a podcast update you might be doing. However, on the wider context of should businesses be being more varied in how they communicate to engage their people? Yes, I think unfortunately, so I I work for a huge professional services firm until um, last year because I'm now working for Seedle. And um, last year, they, as COVID kind of kicked off, Yammer was launched, which is a Microsoft tool, I believe, which is kind of a workplace Facebook, if you will. Um, And interestingly, bearing in mind Microsoft also own LinkedIn, I was always expecting them to somehow weave in um, your business's employees into its own LinkedIn ecosystem and then not bother with Yammer. But anyway, it is where it is. And um, the business did not launch it as effectively as they could have done. And then it's just become yet another tool that I have to have running on my 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 desktop to be able to access information. And the one advantage with email, of course, is, is that it's probably the one that we do check into most. However, I'm also aware that company update in the from the company or, you know, internal comms as the sender doesn't mean that that guarantees opening. So I think Perhaps the method of communication is one part, but actually what's in the message needs to be better, better written, better um, for the recipients to receive and actually have a reason that each week I read it, there is a reason for me to read it that isn't just corporate guff. Um, Because there's always going to be employees that just don't bother with that stuff. But if there is a compelling thing to look into, then I think that's useful. Equally, I think if it is a standard email that's an update, it needs to be um uh uh, seen as an update and therefore when there is an important announcement there is a different email address so when um i ran um an internal learning team um for this professional services firm we decided we were not going to do updates from learning and development it was actually going to come from a different person each month um with the same subject line you know this week's this month's course recommendations from joe for example and therefore, what that meant was that people were seeing, oh, it's some, it's you know, it's the same content, but it's this month it's recommended by someone different. So I think you can be creative in it. I hate to say it, I still think email wins over all other things. Um, however, I do think there's email etiquette. I think um, reply to alls when there's a big thread can be incredibly dangerous. That's where Teams does come into its own. Um, but I, I, if I'm looking for a file, the first thing I do, if it's not in my, my documents or my documents, if I'm using a MacBook, is I go to my email and search the file name or the, the person that I know that sent it to me. And unfortunately, now we are starting to lose our stuff because did you send it to me on Teams? Did you send it to me on WhatsApp? Did you send it to me to email? In fact, just today, this article, you and me had to hunt out and you and we had the discussion off air. Did, did you send this to me on WhatsApp or Outlook? <laughs> So I, I, yeah, so I, I, I absolutely get that businesses have to evolve. And in fact, we, as you know, JB, have had clients, we, we have a radio station. So if, if any of our listeners of the podcast or in the live audience are not aware, if you ask your smart speaker to enable radio seedle skill, so that's, I'm not going to say the word A-L-E-X-A, because otherwise it will kick off in our, or in our audience's rooms. But if you ask it to enable radio seedle skill it launches a radio station and we've had clients come to us saying we love your radio station our employees are listening to it but actually can you build us one please for our business so you know jonathan bradley limited's 
own radio station to your point that can play that music because it's on in the background anyway but then you intertwine updates from the business in between the music and as you and i know jb from our radio background um that radio is a great secondary activity so if it's on in the background anyway um it's kind of things you're zoning out to but actually it means that it's always on whereas a intranet page or an email requires someone to mechanically do something to engage with it and actually the broadcast to make them aware is just a, the email ping going off and then within three or four minutes it's probably gone down off screen if the emails are frequent so that's my take do you know uh, my my feeling on this is uh that it's what the hybrid is a term that kind of is being used so much at the moment particularly with people um deciding uh with their companies uh you know whether they're going to be working um from home or whether they're going to be working in the office or whether it's a combination of the two um so if you've got email if you've got whatsapp whatsapp groups uh microsoft Teams, zoom whatever it happens to be uh you've got all of those things going on i quite liked uh the the tone of this guy's um story uh because uh, when you've got a video coming out from your ceo on a regular basis and you can download it when you want uh you can go to the back catalog and look at what you know the ceo said six months ago about where the company was going and what's going on and how it's going to be uh, i think for some seeing the ceo or the senior leaders uh, having a conversation about the business is going to be more powerful than just an email uh, or just a whatsapp so i i think uh, this is where i think a lot of uh, organizations could win uh, by getting their communications uh, right in terms of the right amount of zoom and the right and i'm, I'm going to make a, a sort of distinction between video communication uh, and virtual communication um, so what I'm talking about here is that Zoom, Microsoft Teams, um, Adobe Connect, all of those things, uh, that's kind of a given now to me. You know, that that's kind of we need to be on this. We need to be to, to be good at our Zoom. And I think a lot of organizations yeah. make good changes regarding that. Um, and but I think at the same time, rather than just relying on an email communication to all staff, wouldn't it be great? If the CEO just got his phone out or her phone out um, and talked into it and say, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you how it is. Uh, there's three things I'm gonna talk to you about today. Uh, firstly, blah blah blah. Secondly, blah. Thirdly, blah. Um, and I will update you again on how this is evolving uh, in the next couple of days. You know, if that was something like a merger, an acquisition, or you know, something that was really big happening." Uh, a new shareholder. I think all of that is going to be quite exciting for people to to get into, and I think there's a kind of there's a bit of a phobia for a lot of uh, senior leaders uh, to actually speak into their phone, record it, and get it out. Uh, I think it's oh my god, you know that's for kids. Mm. No, no, actually, it's for grown ups. We we all get on our phones and do uh, chats with with other people. Uh, we need to to take that and put it in the office and be a bit normal with it and just do a video and say hi. I just want to update you. Um, we are uh, looking at um, you know making some changes to our you know sales division. That is for sure. I know a lot of people are you thinking about this, and I'm just going to talk you through some of the main points that we are under consideration. I can't tell you everything, but I will tell you what I do know. That in a video form rather than an email or both. I think is really good. So the hybrid and really working out how we're going to make it a good hybrid, given that maybe 40, 50% of our people will be at home and 50% will be in the office. I think it, it actually builds the bridge, helps to build the bridge between the two, two areas, would be my thinking on that, Ant. Very interesting, Mr. Bradley. Um, I'm conscious of time, and we have that question that you... I'm glad you are. <laughs> I can't see myself, so that doesn't help. Oh, my goodness. Are you, are, you, are, you wearing a, are you wearing kind of like a pirate's eye patch on both eyes? 
Well, I tell you what, I'm going to risk it. I'm going, going to put my... Uh, can you prepare? Can okay. you be ready? I'll be okay, ready to here. ramble if you disappear. Let's, let's Okay, have... here I come. I'll just make sure my hair's in place. Here oh. we go. Oh. It's only going to be exciting for the studio audience, of course. Um... Back in the game. So uh, nothing's collapsed. Nothing's fallen over. I am now visual for those in the audience. Um, I know that it's probably underwhelming for you, but there we are. Uh, here I am. If it starts going a bit funny, I'll just turn my video off. JB normally has a little spotlight on his face, but I've noticed he's not on today. Or is it? Oh, yeah. oh that's because I didn't think I was going to be um, on live. Camera. So yeah. put that little there. You there you go. See. And mm. now we're back. And now you see the audience can see that beautiful face, and I can see whether you're kind of going, giving me the eyes to go. I want to talk. I think we we coped right by not having cameras on. Although I still prefer it with it on, Mr. Bradley. So well, it could could be argued that it's better. Who knows? Uh, so you <laughs> did you write down the question from yesterday from our audience member in the webinar? No, not at all. Um, that's a very good point. Because <laughs> you said, oh, yeah, they asked a great question. I was like, oh, good. I'm glad you remembered it. Oh. I can dig it out if not. It will take me a minute. Um, I can go to another listener question while I dig it out if that's easier. Well, you're quite good at that. Um, so there we are, miscommunicating. I so my my error, and I'm happy to hold up my hands in in the air, and say my bad because I assumed that you would have it on your screen and you would have taken a Photoshop thing of it, a screenshot. Uh, that was my bad assumption that you were going to do that. So sorry about that. No, it's fine. Um, so um, I have found the question now. We're pleased to hear. You're amazing. I don't know how you do it. And um, in the back end, it has a log of all the. <laughs> but I thought you'd written it down, so it's going to save me logging into it. Um, I can't. I can barely talk, let alone write. This is true. Um, so to give the context, because the question has context to it. Yesterday we were doing a um, consultancy piece of work with a global organisation with a group of leaders across the US. Cayman Islands, Bermuda, all that type of part of the world. Um, so, by the way, the backdrops were very impressive because all their cameras are on. Oh, blue skies, amazing. sea yeah. views from their offices. Breezy, beautiful palm trees. <sighs> anyway, uh, meanwhile, in Ramsgate and Hampshire. Um, <laughs> uh, so, Church Crookham, sorry. Um, I'm not allowed to call it Fleet. Uh, so um, we were running a session on what we like to call the spectrum of approaches. So sometimes we need to instruct, sometimes we need to supervise, sometimes we need to mentor, sometimes we need to coach. And the question from the audience member was, what about if there is not a willingness to change your communication style? So that's the question. Um, who needs to change their communication style the manager that's how i interpret it because again i've only got the sentence as i've just read it to you well if you're not prepared to learn new ways of having conversations and communicating uh then houston we have a problem mm -hmm. we have a problem uh because we can all learn uh, to work with different scripts and to create different scripts and behaviours, um, we're not being, we're not asking to change personality. You know, our personalities are our personalities, but behaviour we can change. So, I, I to, to give a bit of extra context, I don't think the person on the webinar was asking about themselves, saying I don't have a willingness to change. No, 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 no. I think what they were referring to is they had a leader, by the way, and this is for the listeners' benefit more than me and JB's. I think they have a leader that works for them that is probably on our skill will matrix in a um, high level of competency for subject matter expertise, but lacks skills around leadership, management and coaching. And um, this particular client of ours that we're working with has a bit of a culture of codependency. In other words, the manager won't move without being given information by their people, but at the same time, the people aren't given enough power to make the final decision. And there's this culture of actually no one makes a decision, things stall. There's a bit of an overpowering because we don't empower our people to think for themselves. And therefore, all these people are kind of leaving the company. They've got an attrition problem. They don't feel valued or focused. So um, I think... The reality is, as JB says, if you were to put that manager on a skill will matrix, it sounds to me like they may have a reasonable amount of will, sorry, skill, but they really lack the will. Because if those people are not prepared to begin to empower their people 
then how on earth are they ever going to be better as a coach or mentor? And for those of you that haven't listened to our previous episodes, me and JB did a study um, a couple of years ago now where we um, surveyed 4,000 direct reports of 1,300 line managers. You got these 4,000 people that report into 1,300 line managers. And we asked these 4,000 direct reports what their def- their boss's default style of communication was. Was it an instructor? Was it a supervisor, a mentor, a coach? Actually, it was just instructor, mental coach. But anyway, and what came out was that the more instructor-like the people manager was, the higher their resignation rate was. Not their firing rate, but their resignation rate. They had more levers than the coach-type leaders. So the people that rated their manager as a coach-style default communication had about a 13% attrition rate, if I'm not mistaken. So 13% in the previous 12 months resigned. The instructor-style leader, they had a 43%, I think it was 43, 43% Mm. voluntary attrition rate. Now that says to you and me as a leader, if we don't change, guess what? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because if we're having to hire new people all the time, then yes, of course, you're going to have to instruct these people because for the first three to six months, they don't know what they don't know. And if you don't stop losing people, that is always going to be your default style. But ironically, those people that have been with you for more than six months, you need to move to mentor and coach style because then they'll stay for longer. And our data tells you that. So that would be my take on on this. You know, if, if a leader is not willing to change, then actually... I would be interested for the person that asked this question to consider reviewing or comparing their voluntary attrition rate with other people that do change their style to be mentor or coach-like. Because I can bet my bottom dollar that the, the people that are more mentor and coach-like have a much lesser resignation rate. I use resignation rate because it's a layman's term um, versus those people that are sticking as, I'm going to just direct my people. I'm just going to instruct my people. I'm just going to supervise. I don't... I don't believe in empowerment. I don't believe in them thinking for themselves. That would be my take, JB. When you say you bet your bottom dollar, what is your bottom dollar? Just one. I've only got one dollar left in my pocket. You've only got one bottom as well. Um, bottom cheeks too. <laughs> it's someone at the door. I um Ah, oh, I've got some of those in my top drawer, which will never, ever be used again, probably. Uh, Ant has now shown a dollar. Uh, a dollar bill. That's my bottom dollar. dollar. Bill. Yeah, that's your bottom dollar. Now, um, and how important is it uh, for people to be authentic at work at all levels? Very. On a scale of one, 10, 1 to 10, how important is it for anyone to be authentic in an organisation? I would say nine. There are some times when we, we can't be authentic because our corporation tells us not to be. And that's why I wouldn't give it a 10. What are the factors that reduce um, people's authenticity, do you think? Um, pressure from above around yeah. performance and also a lack of competence of the individual to understand the styles of communication for their people. Because I too much, I often, as we speak about regularly, too often a leader is promoted to a people manager position because of their technical expertise of the role they used to do. I was a great lawyer, now I'm going to manage lawyers. I was a great salesperson, now I'm a sales leader. And I think, unfortunately, leaders of old were power over based on their competence. But what has been realized by the forward thinking organizations is. The role of a people leader is 90% different to the team's roles and responsibilities. You don't need to be the smartest person in the room. And as I said to this audience we were talking to yesterday, JB, um, I have three or four direct reports who have responsibilities that I do not even understand for a second. That doesn't mean that I can't be their leader. I lead a technology expert, a learning expert, um, uh, a sales expert and I have understanding of what they do but I'm not the best person to do their roles and actually that means means I can be a be- I have to be a better leader mentor manager coach instructor supervisor because that's what I'm being measured on not whether I know what that button does there because <laughs> that's what they're hired to do and that's where I think there is this challenge have I gone off piece to the question 
No, no. I, I, so what I love about this question, how important is it for people to be uh, authentic at every level inside organisations, um, the usual answer is very, on a scale of one to ten, you know, ten out of ten, nine out of ten, right. Um, there are an awful lot of people in organisations who are going around um, being inauthentic. Why? Uh, because they are controlled. Uh, they are controlled by uh, other extrinsic factors. They are controlled by micromanaging uh, bosses. Uh, they do not have uh, autonomy uh, to make decisions, to uh, conduct their work and their lives at work in an autonomous fashion. The more autonomy we can give them, the more authentic they will be. You are given your authenticity by being autonomous. If you are controlled by other factors, um, I think you mentioned, um, you know, maybe unrealistic targets from uh, above, you know, people, people managing with unrealistic expectations can turn people into um, nervous wrecks. Uh, into into something that they want to appease the boss. They want to um, maybe start kind of bullshitting and lying in their forecasts and so on. Uh, we know all about that um, in our lives, you know, with, with sales uh, teams where you have individuals who start bullshitting and they just, you know, lose it a little bit. Um, so people can lose their uh, authenticity when they lose their autonomy. So the, I want to make this direct um, relationship between uh, giving and supporting autonomy, not taking it away. So we, we don't seek to take control. We seek to give control. We give control. We don't take it. Taking control is, is an automatic uh, approach that a lot of leaders and managers take um, that actually reduce autonomy. Um, in addition to that, uh, we need to gauge uh, the right level of challenge uh, for everyone inside the organization, including the CEO uh, and everyone else in the business. So we want to give confidence to everybody's competence. This is the biggest motivator for people at work, is to have confidence in their competence. If you give them too big a target a too big a uh, challenge they will become demotivated too little they will become demotivated uh, so we need to make sure that we are gauging the, the right challenge and creating the optimal challenges uh, for the organization and its people we need to give individuals and teams their autonomy and give them confidence in their competence we do all of those things um, then we have a much higher level of performance in an organisation. If we refuse to learn to adopt those strategies, that way of thinking, we are, we are basically making ourselves irrelevant and a whole load of people underneath us irrelevant over the next few years too. We can't afford to do that. We've got time for one more question. Um, which has been sent in by email. Our, our live audience have not submitted any questions today, which, hey, we often see that. They like to observe or listen in the background when they crack on with their work. Um, this question reads, um, I was on one of your webinars last week when you spoke about the great resignation. Um, oh, and yeah. Just to pause it for a second. Um, we were talking about the fact that there is a likelihood to be 30, that there is a prediction by, I think it was a survey done by Microsoft and the World Health Organization, which suggests... Um, many countries are going to experience high levels of, of resignations this year, um, up to 40% in some countries. In the US, 42% of people are going to leave their roles if they're not able to continue working remotely or certainly have some flexibility in that. Um, and we kick that subject around. Anyway, the question is, what single tip would you do as a leader of a business to mitigate that risk? I have an easy answer whilst JB reflects, which is invest in your people. Um I was doing a uh, an event with another client last week, not the client I was talking about that we were working with yesterday, but last week. And I was interviewing in a kind of fireside chat event about these leaders' career histories. And um, I don't know where my 
notebook is, but I want to read it verbatim, uh, but I can't find it. So I'll, I'll paraphrase and hopefully I get it about right. And basically this leader said, um, if we need to keep our people working for us, we need to help under, help our business understand that people are choosing now to learn rather than earn. And I thought that was a really brilliant quote because actually a lot of people at the moment may consider reskilling completely off the back of the change of the world. Actually, I'm going to work remotely now. Now my now now these organisations that I couldn't work to for two years ago allow me to work remotely. I want to go work for them now, actually, because they, they didn't allow it. But now they realise it's fine. Or I want to do a completely different job. I've reevaluated. I spent a year at home with my kids. I don't want to travel no more. I want to change and reskill. And therefore, people are leaving, taking a pay cut if another organisation gives them the ability to upskill so they can then spend more time devoted to what their aspirations are. And therefore, my advice would be, apart from, of course, buy Seedle subscriptions, because that gives you a whole array of learning opportunities, is the single thing to keep your people from resigning this year is invest in them. Because I can guarantee you the cost of replacing them with hiring costs we spent we're hiring for for people in the uk at the minute and we don't we don't use agencies because we we um for, for various reasons but um we've still spent nearly a thousand pounds on adverts for these jobs that's a cost training those people up is a cost um the productivity loss of people training them up is a cost and actually, if you are willing to risk spending thousands of pounds on hiring costs, training costs, losing that person and the replacement probably costing you more anyway, invest in those people now and give them a reason to stay for six, 12 months so you can sort your business out and then make them stay for longer. Do something to keep them because if you know they're going to leave anyway, do you want them to leave now or in a year's time? And that's only an answer you can answer, but I can suggest you probably want to buy yourself some time if you can, especially if it's not a pay rise. Because interestingly, there was a really interesting survey, which I haven't found since I saw it. And it was coming, it was on social media. And it said that 90% of people that get a pay rise when they're asked to leave still go on to leave within 12 months anyway. So a pay rise is not an answer always, unless pay is a huge issue for your organization. JB. Oh, this subject. Good question. This... Uh, it's great. This subject is, it's right where it is. I mean, it's a big one. It's a, it's a, it's, it's the big, big, big issue for now. And this idea that we can extrinsically motivate our people to stay and um, stay in organisations, extrinsic meaning um, things like money um, and stuff like that, rather than intrinsic, what's inside me, what gets me out of bed in the morning, you're on the money end. Um, and and the, there was some fantastic research done on this by this guy called Edward Detchy, who I'm going on about a bit at the moment, but this piece of research absolutely supports what you've just said. People want to learn to be bloody good at what they do. That's the biggest motivation for people in people's lives. They want to be learn. They want to learn to be good at what they do. Now, the fact is that we can learn to be good at what we do, and then the goalposts change next week. So, what is it that we need to learn to be really good at dealing with uncertainty, dealing with change? Um, so we get really good at dealing with different situations all the time thrust into new markets new situations new innovations not we don't stop we keep trying to build up our capability um and if people get really good at that um and and they they feel do you know what i can do this i i know this lovely lady um who i surprised um at a a do a few years ago oh, God, and well, it was a bit it was a bit mean of me, but I said to her with about two hours notice, I'd really love you to tell the story um, that you told me to this audience. <gasps> I can't do that. I can't do that. I absolutely can't do that. I said, OK, no worries. Not a problem. It's fine. Don't worry about it. She came back to me literally 30 minutes before the point where they had to go and speak. And up she comes and says, JB, 
I've thought about it. I want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. it. Well, no, you don't have to. It's a bit late. No, no, I want to do it. Okay. All right. You do it. Um, she gets up and she does it. And it's brilliant. It's emotional. It's crazy. It's fabulous. And it's au naturel. No notes, no nothing. And um, there are many occasions um, where I've come across people like that who just think I can't do it I can't do it then they do it and then they 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 have never done anything like that before but they want to do it there's an eagerness an inside thing to get it done um we can tap into that and it's called learning to be really good at what we do and then some and then just these little things that we keep on doing organizations need to really focus on helping people to be really good at what they do and some and that's that's kind of what I think you were saying. And that's what I believe in. So open up your wallet and invest in your flipping people because it's your survival um, that absolutely counts as an organization and the people inside that organization. I leave you with this final comment. The cost of doing nothing will be far greater than the cost of doing something. S super. Our hour, ladies and gents, is up. In fact, we don't even oh. have time to say farewell and what we're up to for the next few days socially um, because uh, there is a train on the line and we need to get off it quickly because there is other people that need our rooms. Um, okay. But Mr. Bradley, uh, your part... But, but, uh, sorry, I, I should... I, Mr. Bradley normally gets excited because he has the final word. Um, anyway, um, thank you for listening. Uh, if you have questions, please drop us an email, globalleadershippodcast.gmail.com. Um, or you can send them to Seedle as well, global, glp at uh, seedle.com. Uh, and we'll attempt to answer them next week. If you are a listener in the podcast world and you want to listen to us live, you can enroll to be in the audience. It's part of our free memberships. So you don't have to pay to join these podcasts every week. Just sign up for Seedle Lite as a license and it is available as part of that toolkit. Um, and uh, I've been Anthony Price. And I've been Autonomous. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.